welcome to Moonbeaming, a podcast about creativity, magic, tarot, lunar living, and more. I'm your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner, and I am so happy you are here today. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to Moonbeaming. I'm your host, Sarah Faith. I'm so happy to be here with you. If you are just tuning in and this is your first episode, Moonbeaming is a podcast for creatives, for magical folks, for, oh, I just want to say human beings. If you're a human being, you're probably in the right place. And we have a really special episode today that I'm so excited for all of you to get to hear. I have some very special guests I have the card of the week. I have some thoughts on what to do with a full moon when you're wiped out. But first, I wanted to announce the winner of this month's giveaway. Every month when my podcast is live, I do a giveaway. This month, the winner had to write a review and then my studio manager randomly picked someone and they get to receive a 50 minute tarot reading with me, myself, and I, and whatever guides want to step through. And the winner this month is Stefan Ninja 666. Stefan Ninja 666. I will put your handle in the show notes and how to reach out to me. You can use the studio email, which is uh, modernwomenprojects at gmail.com, and we can schedule your tarot reading. Next month, I'm really excited about next month's giveaway. I'm going to announce it next week. It is open to anyone who's given the podcast a five-star review. I can't wait for you to hear about what we're going to give away next month, and I'll let you all know next week. To everyone who's written a review so far, thank you so much. I love you. You're warming up my cold, moderately black heart. The embers are starting to glow again. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're here. have a full moon this Thursday, and most likely you are feeling it right about meow. Most likely you're going to be feeling it throughout the weekend. I think you probably will. This could feel like a part of a larger wave of emotionally tinged revelations that start beginning, that begin on Tuesday or Wednesday, and then will wash out and bring solutions, acceptance, forgiveness by this weekend. Full moons are excellent times for realizations. The question always is, are you willing to show up to what is being shown to you? Are you willing to receive whatever is coming up? Amazing or not so amazing? I know that there are folks for which the amazingness is hard to fully receive and accept. That could be something coming in, support, 
it could be another theme, like how you need support or how you need to support yourself, the language of support. And then, of course, the next question becomes, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do differently? How are you going to treat yourself differently? Another theme that's coming up, I believe, is this moon is about unconditional love. Loving ourselves when maybe we don't look so cute and loving ourselves when we're just the cutest little peach on that peach tree. Issues around feeling seen, like truly seen, and supported calling in help. We don't have to cast spells every full moon. Capitalism has co-opted our moon study and has made some lunar phases better or worse or more important than others. Isn't that so weird how there's kind of this popular culture hierarchy around lunar phases and also like certain kinds of like astrological uh, occurrences happening around moons. It's really interesting to reflect on all of the ways capitalism reflects our spiritual study and our spiritual practices. And of course, new moons, full moons are usually some of the more powerfully felt lunar phases. Absolutely. And also, it is what you practice consistently through all the phases that so often determines our experiences at the next phase. For me, if I put a lot of awareness, attention, and embodiment into my practice and my life during a waning moon phase, it is just as effective as what I do so around a full moon phase. I want to clarify that for all of us, right? Some folks feel like they have to cast spells at the new moon and the full moon. And that's just not true. Some of us, of course, are going to be drawn towards doing a spell. Go for it. Full moon spells, so potent. Some of us are going to be wiped out. All caps, wiped out. Some of my favorite things to do during a full moon to honor ourselves and the moon that aren't spells, but we could categorize them as small spells. Why not? Taking an intentional bath or shower with herbs and a candle in the dark and going to bed early, just chilling out, resting, treating yourself a little bit more special, especially if you're tired. Another thing I've really gotten into in this past year, I got into it in 2020, are making essences around full moons or special times energetically in your life. I was wiped out during the winter solstice. There was no how, no way, no why I was going to be doing a spell. I was really, really tired. And I did want to honor it in some energetic way. So I made a solstice essence with pine, candlelight, a poem, smoky quartz, a meditation, co-mingled with the essence of the longest night of the year. 
You can look up how to make essences online. They're super easy. They require very few ingredients, and they're a way to capture some of the energy and the magic of potent times. Other things that I love to do during the full moon time that isn't necessarily a spell, although I, again, I can't see why it isn't, is to really embody what we need, who we need to become, what we are calling in to sink into this energy and receive ourselves. The moon is so much about the body and our needs and embodiment. So thinking about utilizing this energy to help us make subtle or large changes in how we experience ourselves and see if over time that creates any subtle shifts. Part of why I'm bringing up the suggestion or the idea that folks might be a bit wiped out this week is because of our card of the week. The card of the week that got pulled is the Nine of Swords. Y'all can picture it in your mind. It's in the traditional Rider Waite, Coleman Smith. It's a person crying. It looks like it's the middle of the night and there are swords in the background. This card is often referred to as the Nightmare card. This can refer to having your nightmare be something that has already happened and you find yourself responding to situations going on as if they were this nightmare. This so much can be a card about the influence of trauma, the influence of the brain on the nervous system. This is a week to put down those swords that you've been holding onto, maybe out of habit, maybe out of hypervigilance, maybe because there's a fear that if you put those swords down, you're not going to be safe. There's this saying, pain is a part of life, suffering is optional. And I want to be really clear, I'm not talking about grief or normal responses to all of the violence and hardships we're dealing with individually and collectively. I'm talking about ending the patterns for how you punish yourself. This is a pattern you've learned, you've internalized, and you've continued to enact on yourself. I'm talking about carrying stuff that isn't yours to carry. That was never yours to carry. Can you put it down? This week, it's super imperative that we continue to use discernment and parse out what is our energy and what is the energy of someone else. What is the energy of the present moment And what is the energy of the past that we've become attached to? 
what must we be responsible for and what can we let go of? Grief is sadness plus anger plus fear. The sadness over something that was taken away, the anger because it was unfair, and the fear that it will happen again, or you'll never get back to that state you were before, or you'll never be able to experience that which was taken away from you ever again. We move through this grief. All of this grief is justified and normal and natural given the state of our planet. One of the personal ways folks are experiencing grief is through the realization that who they were or what they have built their identity from or off of was a reaction to someone else, to society, or was a survival mechanism. And in that awareness is a ton of grief, perhaps shame, and perhaps confusion. If this is you, and I'm raising my hand here too, if you're waking up to this, then you are waking up to your true self. And your true self didn't go anywhere. It has been here all this time. This week, if this card feels appropriate, think about setting down all of the ways you turn the knives on yourself and step into more of the truth of who you are. You don't have to hold up things that are so, so much greater than you, and you don't have to take the blame for them anymore. You don't have to feel shame for something you didn't know. How could you? How could you know? You're figuring it out in your own way, and that is what is important. Okay, we have some incredible guests on the show today. The Living Altar is here, otherwise known as Ilvomara Radishevsky and Kiki Robinson. They are artists, witches, teachers, tarot readers, podcasters, healers, and so much more. We had such a great conversation about art, magic, the creation of their awesome oracle deck, healing, ancestor remediation, and a lot of other things. I also give Ilva Mara a tarot reading and topics of healing and art and identity and abundance and vulnerability all come up. So if there are any artists or creatives listening, this is going to be right up your alley. I am so honored to present to you my conversation with the Living Altar. Everyone, I have the most exciting guests today on the show. I am joined by Kiki Robinson and Yovamara Rajashevsky 
co-creators of the living altar and oracle and spell deck for the radical witch they are co-collaborators they are both artists they are both witches i would love for each of you to introduce yourselves and share a little bit about what you do awesome Okay, I'll go first. Hi, I'm Kiki. I go by Opulent Witch, um, and I am a witch and an artist, a tarot reader, and an energy work practitioner. I work in multiple different mediums. Um, my background is in painting and printmaking, as well as dance and performance. And I really love weaving ritual and art together to create altars and ceremonies that are based in liberation and collective liberation and spell work. And I'm Ilvamara Rzeszewski. I am a high priestess. I'm a non-binary trans femme. Some other <laughs> nominatives are that I am a survivor of childhood sexual assault and incest. Um, I am a yeah, temple tender, a published author. My book, a Practical Guide for Witches, can be purchased at Amazon.com or Indie, I think IndieBound.com. Um, and yeah, multi, I guess a multimedia artist. Um, I love working with rituals. I think that every act that we um, take in our lives from getting up, getting dressed, to, you know, working in our J-O-Bs, to having arguments with loved ones, to fucking, to taking a shit, these are all magical practices that can be harnessed for um, uh, personal transformation and collective liberation. Um, I really believe that the work of the modern witch is as a community witch, as a practitioner that shares in collective accountability and responsibility for cultural shifts and awakening and collective liberation. And um, yeah, I just hope that my art and my collaborations and private practices um, really help to uplift this in others. Beautiful, wonderful. There's just so much to dive into with both of you there. So I can't wait. So I wanna, I wanna put this focus on the deck that the two of you released. Yes. It's a momentous project. It is, you know, an open <laughs> like project, which as soon as you come into contact with it, you understand its magnitude. I know that I have heard one of you talk about having to do a spell to bring forth more art and more creativity. How did this all arise? Did it arise as a healing journey, a shared mm -hmm. ritual gathering? What did both of you have to do emotionally, psychologically, magically to get to this space that allowed you to birth this creation together? Mm. Yeah, you want to start? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so it began exactly three years ago mm -hmm. um and at the time I was enrolled in a student at um Ilva's school um the school of traditional magic and um at the time I was also working quite a bit with um printmaking I do linoleum block cuts that are also spells um and I feel like it kind of 
organically very much kind of birth where um, Ilva approached me um, and wanted to make an Oracle deck and work together to collaborate and um, bring this forward. And it soon, <laughs> very shortly after became kind of a life of its own where um, we started working for six months straight um, to create the ritual, you know, open the container and start, we started carving um, the blocks, um, which are each hand carved and each one is a spell. So we worked mostly on the carving aspect and each one is hand printed. And then after that was where it got really fun when <laughs> we started invoking the spells, which really took us on a journey. <laughs> um, I like to say I was prepared for it because, you know, my spirits were a couple of steps ahead, but it was kind of uncanny and um, I would say intense because the funniest part is we scheduled one day to <laughs> invoke the spells. Well, it took us about five months mm -hmm. <laughs> to invoke each spell of each card because some of the spells and the rituals took sometimes 12 to 24 hours of us just tending to the ritual, to the altars. Um, and it, I feel like I experienced a, I mean, I'm not the same person as I was before I began this. And it took both of us, I think I can speak for both of us a little bit, um, that at least for me too, that I, it took me on an entire transformation. It really is truly and was led by the ancestors. Um, Ilva and I share um, ancestry of the Romani diaspora and um, I really felt the ancestors come forward and really take, they truly took the wheel. So um, it's unfolded since like it is continually unfolding into ritual art and I'm always worked by it too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it always involves a personal healing. I think with ritual and healing work, it's like, I can't show up for collective. I can't show up for community unless I'm also doing that work too. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, um, it's irresponsible to give a spell to someone or to share an invitation for ritual without, as a facilitator, having gone through that process to understand how to hold as safe a container as possible. And when we're working with like an oracle deck, which is a salient being, it, we're like saying, okay, go be, go be this being in relationship with I mean, how many decks did we order? We ordered like 2000 decks or something. It's like, that's 2000 plus relationships. And then all the times that they just like with a person in their deck, but then like if that person interacts with other people with that deck, those are additional relationships. And so we really needed to make sure that there was safety um, in our relationship with each other and safety and security in our relationship with the art, with the deck, with the, with the ancestors there were times when we were making this deck that we basically started, we prayed, and then like five, six hours later, we were like puddles on the floor wrapped in blankets crying mm -hmm. um, with like honey spilled all over the temple floor and herbs everywhere. And like, like sometimes blood, like we're like, how did the blood get here? It's like, <laughs> like checking our hands and our bodies for like gaping <laughs> wounds. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then like channeling the messages, it was like, sometimes we couldn't formulate the word. I live with a neurological um, uh, uh, illness as a result of chronic Lyme and late stage Lyme disease. And so sometimes in spirit, um, work, I can't articulate words. And I think that's true maybe for most people, but I remember there were times too where Kiki and I were trying to write the spells and we basically channeled each other. We channeled the muse inside of each other. So like one of us would like, like fall back into the ancestral field, um, which is what we call like that collective wisdom that that walks within us and behind us through the diaspora and, and we couldn't move. And so the other would just write what was coming off of the energy in that moment. It was such a powerful collaboration. Um, and it feels like it stretches beyond just the three years that we've been working on this. Like the initial motivation for me for the deck was I just wanted a different way for people to connect to the magic of time and place. And for me, the witch's wheel has always been a really grounding resource and so I wanted an opportunity for people to like take their time with truly learning cosmology and developing personal cosmology which I think is so critical not only to a solid practice in witchcraft but also like um, so essential for the development and the um, I'll say refining of character um, you know, what do we believe in and, and, and will our actions align with that or not? Um, so the, the, the real motivation for the Living Altar Oracle deck was to say, hey, folks, like this is, this is a way that you can have a personal practice that is yours. Um, and how magic is not dogmatic. Magic doesn't belong to faith or religion. You know, we like to say that magic is a faithless devotion. And um, it weaves itself through all belief systems. And so uh, working together the last three years has been, God, so profoundly, Kiki said, like, I, like we're definitely not the same people. And the project isn't even the same as it was when we began. So we're going to get into the specifics of the deck in a minute, but I do want to stay in this exploratory sharing. I want to talk about the cards are spells. So what do you mean for listeners who might be confused? What do you mean when you say that? So each card, when we carved it, we, um, as we were carving the blocks, we, and I guess you'd say invoked or like called upon the energy of what we were wanting to intend for that specific card. And something I also do with like linoleum block cuts is I push the energy into the carving. Um, so from, you know, the, the kind of the origin of the carving, um, the spell is already being invoked um, through the imagery as well. And then when we, after we printed, we wrote spells. So when we were moving through the ritual, we created the ritual, we also wrote spells for each card. Mm -hmm. um, so the spells can, are found in the book. So they're written, written spells. And then what we did was we burned the spell, created ash from the spell, and then rubbed the ash into the, each um, card after it was printed, and then collaged with living man matter. So, um, you know, kind of like I was saying, like the spirits really took the wheel. So it was like, okay, what does this card want? You know, we really just asked each spell mm -hmm. 
what do you want? Um, you know, and sometimes it was, you know, our hair, our teeth, or not our teeth, but teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we're like taking our yeah, teeth. yeah, that's where the blood came from. <laughs> but yeah, our some of us have our blood because we we were like sewing the the living letter, and like I kept just perking myself and I was like well I guess like my blood wants to be in this um <laughs> um and you know living matter of like organic you know plants and flowers and fur and you know just different kind of found mm-hmm. objects to or found um pieces um and then we at the very end after each card was done we we charged them and blessed them on on the altar mm-hmm. as traditional witches you know, and when we say traditional witches, what we mean by that is like we exist in as witches in relationship to the world. Um, and and we bring into our practice the context of our lived experiences. So the the creation of the deck was an exploration of the relationships that Kiki and I both had already with these concepts, like young adulthood, childhood, um, creativity, abundance, um, and the elements of the earth, air, fire, and water, and the dance that they have together. Like these were all our existing relationships that we were exploring and deepening in as we went along this process. But then also as Romani and also for myself a Slavic witch, there's a there's a strong belief in like things have consciousness, like uh, like fetishes, like fetish working. And so for me, each of these cards is themselves a fetish or an idol or a, um, a, a living embodiment of quality that they are meant to express. And so as we look at it through the witch's wheel, the deck is broken down into three distinct narratives. The first narrative is divine energy. So that's like source, creation, element, like raw elemental power. Um, then the second narrative arc is a conversation with celestial forces that have shape and form that guide us, like the moon phases, stages of the sun through the day, Uh, our journey as individuals through rites of passage Mm -hmm. from birth until death and also the the character qualities or the way that those stages of life uplift certain aspects of character so as an example um, rebirth is a process of emerging or the promise of childhood you know like these things are really very powerful, potent forces in our lives. And so we wanted people to be able to have a relationship with them so that they weren't just like being enacted upon because choice is such a powerful tool of the witch and um, making thoughtful choices. Like you said in the reading earlier, like intending for the time to be used in a certain way at the beginning and the end of my day, we really wanted these relationships to be thoughtful and the way that people interacted with them to be thoughtful so that they can actually draw on the resources. And then the third arc of the deck is this really fun, intimate conversation with the elements as allies and it's like we journey with them day to day as they move through the world like the way that fire dances with water and the way that earth will um, join with air to create certain qualities and and that's our daily magic like that's our most intimate magic like that's the fucking that's the eating dinner that's the taking a poo that's the taking a nap that's the getting into a fight that's like that's all that gritty stuff that sometimes in new age spiritual communities people are encouraged to um disassociate from or to bypass or to divest from but but for us as queer trans witches like 
like this is the, the, this is what we've got. Also, as as children and survivors of diaspora with that intergenerational trauma, like this is what we have. We have our lived experience. Um, so really, re-entraining people to value those subtleties in their lives and pay attention to them, so that there's more thoughtfulness in our interactions. Beautiful. I love how this deck really is non-denominational, and it doesn't. <laughs> try to put anything on anyone and all of the archetypes that you have included and invoked are archetypes that every human being, regardless of where they are, regardless of what they've experienced can connect to. I know that y'all are very thoughtful um, and very compassionate and I know your magic is and I know that your art is as well. So I wanted to name that as well. Thank you. I wanted to know, how did you decide what spell to do when? I want to kind of start there and say, you know, one of the kind of taking like three steps back, we, we didn't even think about this until after the deck was done. Well, there's only one card where there's an overt human-esque presence and that's the soul harvest, but even the humanoid forms are spirits of nature. Mm -hmm. Like they're not actual people. Mm -hmm. And then the other cards where there's a human impression are only the cards that correspond with what would have been the neo-pagan Sabbath schedule or calendar. Like Mm -hmm. um, as an example, Litha or Midsummer is our celebration card. And so you'd see masks, like like people masks, like uh, masquerade masks, but no people. And we wanted that, we did that intentionally, I think with the spirits because we wanted people to understand that we're part of this narrative but we're not the main focus of this narrative like we have relationships through the seen and unseen world and humanity we are not the priority (laughs) Um, but our humanity should be a priority Um, and so we wanted to kind of like remove the conceit or like the focus or the ego from from the human uh, out of the cards right to kind of put us in our place I, I suppose So I'll say that. And then when it comes to like what spell was where, honestly, we tried to go in order, but sometimes it didn't work. Like we did the moon phases together. We did the sun phases together. Like, cause those were, those were a sentient force. And so I think that really worked well. But when it came to the other cards, it just sort of like we prayed and then, and what came forward came forward. Yeah, I feel like we would, um, we did have a schedule that we would, okay, we'll start at 10 a.m., you know, like <laughs> open a container, create an altar, mm-hmm. and let's see what wants to be worked on today. Um, the cars just really have such a life on their own. Like they would tell us what they wanted. Mm-hmm. They would tell us what they wanted, you know, sewn into them and what they wanted the spell to be. So we would mostly just ask. We would ask the spirits, mm-hmm. we would ask um, the altar, and we would ask the cards um, what wants to be worked on. Yeah. And they told you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> and some of the things that this, like when we were writing the spells, so instead of interpretations for the card, like how some Oracle decks, you'll say, oh, this is what this card means. We just have our spells listed. Then there's some questions that we have in the book to kind of guide people in their own intuitive development. Cause you know, it could be a lot to just have an open-ended question or like just like a spell without context and so we didn't want to give too much information about what we thought 
these cards were meant to do. We wanted just to give people an idea of how to start a conversation as if they're like going on like speed dates or something, like a speed dating kind of a thing. And they're like, here's some prompts for you to <laughs> kind of break the ice. So the, some of those spells though, when they came through, they were, they, they crushed us. Yeah. Um, they were heartbreaking, some, some, most of them. And and it took a long time to just understand, even now, like after we got the deck printed, I think we got the deck delivered this year um, in March, March or April. And I didn't work with it professionally with clients until maybe a month ago, because I couldn't. Every time I opened it, it just like, it it just was, it's a, it's a lot. And when the, when you pull the cards for someone, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the totality of that energy. I think that there um, is an intimacy with the spells that came forward that it feels so personal. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I mean, it's also the rem remembrance and reminder that magic is intimate mm -hmm. and um, we have to show up to that too. Mm -hmm. We have to work through our intimacy issues yes. <laughs> to show up to our magic. Yep. And the I likewise, like I personally, I, I have been going through a whole process now with the cards now that we do have them I work with them with clients but um through my personal practice and my own ritual work um it is very um uh surprising sometimes <laughs> when they, it catches me off guard I'm like oh my gosh like like really uh, <laughs> calling me out here you know <laughs> so um yeah I, I really feel like there's a deep intimacy there mm -hmm. Where does that intimacy, where does that heartbreak, where does that vulnerability come from? I think for me, it comes from oh God. Okay. <laughs> Here's some intimacy. For me, it comes from this place of being witnessed without mm -hmm. judgment mm -hmm. um, around some things that I never thought were possible to express or to view without judgment in myself. And so like the compassion of these, of the witnessing that comes from these cards and these spells, like that, it just, it's so heartbreaking. And sometimes like, particularly when we're working with uh, rites of passage, which are stages of life, like going back to childhood um, and experiencing the energy of childhood without, without judgment for the trauma my child self experienced was so um, healing, I didn't know it was possible. And really with making this deck, um, I think all art and magic is personally transformative. And I think if if we are avoiding personal transformation in our art and in our magic, like then we're not making art or magic, I think um, personally, and maybe there's some people who will get mad at that, but like- I mean, put, I think that, if, put that on a, like mic drop that. Yeah. <laughs> again I mean, like, for all if, the witches in the back, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, come on now, like what, what else are we doing this for? I mean, I think it's possible to make spells and make art but like why wouldn't you take advantage of the opportunity for a deeper understanding and depth of intimacy so um I don't know I, I just feel like like that level of faith really shines through and gives me permission to kind of like reclaim aspects mm. so I had no idea that it would be so transformative so that's that for me <laughs> no big deal, <laughs> no big deal. Yeah, I think for me, uh, there's a level of being seen by the spirits or by my ancestors and 
in a way that feels vulnerable because there's no hiding. Um, and so there's that aspect of like that dissolving of any walls or masks um, that, yeah, through that ritual work and through the cards and through the spells that there was needing to be that transformation um, and that being a continued process as well. Um, and I think that that can feel um, a little <laughs> alarming sometimes mm -hmm. when that happens, but, but I always trust, I do trust that like, okay, if that is ready to dissolve, then that is in right timing mm -hmm. and it's in the, the intention of being in right relationship as well with my altar. <laughs> I think that's, I wanna kind of riff on that too and say um, being witnessed in, in the midst of a transformation, like being, ref like having reflected back to me I'll, I'll speak from a personal space, but with this deck, I hope that others are experiencing this too, and also with art and magic, but like when we are met by an opportunity to shift our narrative um, or to change our mind or to um, reaffirm a boundary or whatever it is, like when we're presented with an opportunity to change or to stop changing, how about that? Like when we are given permission, presented with an opportunity for permission to simply exist, like all of the things that complicate or compromise those choices, they're, they, they are, they're highlighted. They, 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 they are set in a higher relief for us. And I think like that, that in itself is also intimidating because then you get to look at that and say, okay, well, maybe, maybe it's not about changing my behavior. Maybe it's about changing my values, or maybe it's not about changing my values. Maybe it's about changing my behavior. I think we get that um, when we when we or when we were met by that invitation, that's where that heartbreak, that's where the intimacy comes from. Because it also like now puts agency, puts you in relationship with agency. Mm -hmm. You know, like now you get to say, okay, this is what I think I want to do with this. I don't believe that we can always act in a moment. I, I think that sometimes our best decisions are made well after something has happened, mm -hmm. um, and I think that the magic and ritual and art is an opportunity for kind of like a redo, or if not a redo, then uh, an opportunity to return and kind of have our word or have our, our uh, a response that we would have wanted to have opportunity to, to, yeah. to have witnessed. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's like, all, like I hear you saying, it's like one part accountability, one part story changing, one part soul retrieval, and then one part like opening up all of this room for space or this room to see things in a different way, which can be heartbreaking because then comes the grief because it's sort of like, wait, I'm allowed to have this thing or like I'm allowed to like be seen or witnessed or love. You know, we had associated not being able to have access to, which like wasn't printed on us. And I understand now what you mean with the heartbreak. I wanted to ask I had to ask because every witch, all the witches love spell stories. Can you tell us of like you were saying, what was Kiki? You had said uncanny things started happening. Oh yes. <laughs> um. Oh, should I tell the squirrel story? Tell the squirrel story. Oh my gosh. Okay. So we um we were working the cards and creating the deck. Um, we went out to be in ceremony. Um out in eastern Washington and um part of that was like having the cards you know really come forward and the spells of the cards um and <laughs> I you know just like that deepening of ancestral 
remembrance was really coming forward at the time for me. And I remember when one of the days Ova was out um, out in the forest somewhere um, in ceremony and I was at kind of grounding at the the base or at the altar. And I was reading in one of my books of, about ancestral magic that there was going to be, um, you know, that animals start appearing uh, at the altars as a embodiment of the ancestors. And like, no joke, like five minutes later, there's a squirrel <laughs> that like showed up at the altar and wrapped its little paws around these um, ribbons that were on the altar. Um, also, I think like the deck was there too. Mm -hmm. And the so- The deck was the, there, some stabs. The stabs and like the squirrel, I swear it looked like it was praying for a good like five or 10 minutes. And I was just like, my mind was a little blown <laughs> because I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> like I just was reading about how animals would start appearing at the altars to pray as embodiment of the ancestors and then that started happening and it was you know it was like moments like that that I was starting to just kind of have these mind blow moments <laughs> of like oh you know I think you know as witches like we can have those moments over and over again of like oh my god magic is real magic is real <laughs> magic is real and like for me at least that like never has stopped <laughs> so I'm like always just like so blown away <laughs> so I think that is like one that really stands out for me but what's cool is like I think that book was um uh we borrow the earth by Jasper Patrick Lee and he was saying in, in that specifically squirrels and deer are are thought to at least in his that's uh like squirrels and deer would come to the altars mm -hmm. um to represent the ancestors so i thought that was like even more special so and it was such an ancestral cool. healing ritual i love that so i wanted to shift gears in the last little bit of time we have together because i really want to hear from both of you about this subject i think it's a really important subject and uh both of you are well versed in it and you have a lot of practice and that is this reclaiming of ancestry and interrogating and divesting from the concept, the construct, the patterning of whiteness. I want to hear about what, what, are, what are some of the ways in which you began deepening your ancestral connections? What are, what called you to do so? What are the greater implications? You know, I'd love to hear both of you talk about the subject from your own point of view, of course. Yeah, so it's a big question. <laughs> I want to I want to start first if that's okay. Absolutely. And I want to say like one of the things that I really encourage listeners to to sit with is hiring and paying for the labor of black and indigenous femmes um in leading conversations around anti-racism work in leading conversations around indigenous land sovereignty movements, black liberation, um, and as well as just like stepping back like 10 steps, particularly for white folks. Like I'm Romani, like no joke, like I'm like Roma and Polish and I'm also white. Like we can be both of these things. Whiteness is a construct. And so mm -hmm. sitting with accountability to whiteness doesn't negate 
the, the potency and power of our ancestry or our ethnic identities or our indigenuity. However, one of the things I hear often, particularly from white people, are that there is a nervousness in connecting to ancestors because they are afraid that they're mm -hmm. gonna find that their ancestors were racist, were um, enslavers, uh, mm -hmm. colonizers. And I'm gonna say it, they were, and they are, and we are still. Like anybody in proximity to whiteness, regardless of when our people came here, we are perpetuating colonialism. We are perpetuating white supremacy. We can be as actively anti-racist as we possibly can. And yet we still are in proximity to and benefit from the same systems that um, compromise the well-being and wellness and, and um, survivance of Black folks and Indigenous folks, Romani people of color, people of color across the world. So <laughs> one of the things I say is like, no one is going to call your ancestors into accountability but you and it's your job it's like your literal responsibility and if we're nervous about addressing this um, that is in itself internalized racism and that's internalized white supremacy and i think that that's an important thing to start with and it's less about like doing things outwardly for others and more about in this process and in regards specifically to reclaiming ancestors is an internal process it's an internal job and every time we find out more information about who and how we are that's not to be used to distance ourselves from accountability mm -hmm. but rather to reinforce our relationship with indigenuity and our own respect our own ancestral um, uh, cultures and identities, while also empowering us to do additional work in divestment from white supremacy. But until it, until we are all um, on the same page about this, like, like, like racism lives, you know, like white supremacy lives, uh, transphobia lives. And I think, I think uh, uh, Sonia Renee Taylor talks about this a lot, um, where specifically around colorism, but also just around identity. It's like, white people will always be racist, non-black folks will always be or have somewhere inside of them anti-blackness, cis people will always be or have inside of them transphobia, straight people will always have inside of them homophobia, like these uh, abled people will always have internalized dis dis um, uh, ableism, like these are things and concepts that I think we have to get comfortable mm -hmm. owning because if we don't accept that this is the reality, no one is going to be accountable. No one's going to take responsibility mm -hmm. for changing it in themselves. That doesn't make us bad people. It, you know, like we have to, we have to start by like divesting ourselves from the systems. Like I am a white Romani person, right? But my whiteness does not compromise my Romaniness, right? I mean, these are deeper conversations. But anyhow, I, those are kind of my thoughts about it. I get really heated up about yeah. it because I'm like look, <laughs> like being white doesn't make you a bad person, but your commitment to whiteness kind of does compromise your character. <laughs> Same thing with Roma. It's like as a white Romani person, like my commitment to whiteness is a direct one-to-one -one correlation with my commitment to Gajaness or non-Romaniness. And so it's like my willingness to examine this is vital to reclaiming my Romanape. Yeah, I get that question a lot in readings and sessions about how how can I be accountable to my ancestors who were racist? And if you want to be in right relationship and if you want to be in integrity, I do think it's something that 
people need to show up to. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's something I've also, you know, been and continue to be in process with myself of continuing to take inventory of my privilege and my proximity to whiteness and someone who is was not raised in culture. Um, I was raised very assimilated and um, it wasn't until about four years ago, five years ago that I started reclaiming certain parts of my ancestry and being someone who has mixed ancestry. You know, there's that kind of constant conflict of having the, yeah, the internal kind of um, conflict of colonizer and colonized and, you know, it's, I feel like for me, I just, I do want to be committed and I am committed to showing up to those aspects of my ancestry that were violent. Mm -hmm. And um, I think just naming that too, that there's violence in that, um, not to, you know, guilt anyone or make anyone feel bad about what your ancestors did. But I think it's like, there isn't really a choice, Mm -hmm. you know, um, especially right here, right now in the moment that we are in this year um, that to, to move forward and to have a unraveling and dismantling of the systems, mm-hmm. it, it has to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there has to be accountability and person, and it starts with us, Absolutely. you know, it starts at, at our altars. Um, and then that, then also that change can be um, rippled out. Mm-hmm. Um, but until there's a commitment to right relationship um, with the history of ancestry, I think, what else can we do, you know? Mm-hmm. I want to add to that too and say, um, and like just really want to desensitize people to this. There is inherent violence in whiteness. There is inherent violence in cisgenderness. There is inherent violence in heteronormativity, right? Like until we can understand that where we exist in relationship to these concepts, these 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 uh, deeply violent systems, um, and separate the violence from individual, like an, an identity. If if people are hearing me say there is inherent violence and whiteness and they're getting offended, this is what we're talking about. If people are getting offended or hurt because I'm saying there's inherent violence and cisgenderness and inherent violence and heteronormativity, if this, if your first instinct is to recoil, sit with that and examine that and unpack that and soften your reaction and soften your response to that, like, like that's where it starts because there is no lie in that. <laughs> like there is, like that's not, Mm-hmm. These are fa- these are actual I I like facts. You know Hashtag what I mean? Like, facts. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. When we look at like the statistics around gender-based violence, trans people mm-hmm. and gender expansive people experience per capita like extraordinary amounts of gender-based violence over cisgender people. And yet the concept of gender-based violence is always cis-centric and heteronormative. And that's violent. That's violent. You know what I mean? So like, we really need to sit with these um, reactions and and stop personalizing our relationship to these systems. Or rather, if we're gonna personalize our relationship to these systems, then do the work, uh, do the intimacy work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that in my own life, like talking to my ancestors or doing ancestor work, it's very intense. It can bring up a lot. You know, for, for me, the main thing 
is like both the grief of assimilation mm -hmm. and also the pain of silence. Meaning like mm -hmm. when I was in contact with, with some of my ancestors, you know, the silence that they maintained in order to in quote survive under mm -hmm. colonization as white people like that, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that what I've had to look at is how that then perpetuates in my own life. You know, when mm -hmm. I don't speak up, like a lot of it is around voice, fear, mm -hmm. you know, around, uh, get, you know, get violence and, mm -hmm. speech and showing up for other people and things like that. And, that's, I just wanted to sort of bring that out because that's like mm -hmm. one example yeah. of some kind of attempt at remediation and yeah. like what was underneath a lot of it as I like got deeper with particularly a, a specific branch of my family tree yeah. was there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of fear. The fear was so intense. It was almost mm -hmm. overwhelming, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I had to take a step back and I had to sort of switch up my practice too. So it's not all this like grueling, intense excavation yeah. and that it is like, mm -hmm. Hey, what, what were the, you know, what did the forest deities name? Like, what were they, mm -hmm. what were they called? Like, I think yeah. I'm going to make some stuffed cabbage on Friday. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it, it can be a little bit like light. It can be like this, this ongoing process. And I was hoping that, you know, yeah. you, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe one remediation or one sort of mm -hmm. thing that you do in your own practice, just because I know folks are really interested in this topic and people love, mm -hmm. you know, hearing what other people have to say and think and do about this. Mm -hmm. I think for me, um, maybe it was like about seven or 10 years ago. I'm really bad with time. I started to learn of the nasias or the taboos. I think I'm saying it right. And folks in <laughs> who speak Romanes or Kaldrash more fluently um, can correct me, but the nasias of the Roma diaspora, like, and I started to incorporate them in my cleaning. I started to incorporate them in my showering, like my personal self-care. I started mm -hmm. to incorporate the taboos that I really felt safe with and comfortable with. And also understanding like as a trans non-binary person raised with the knowledge of being Roma, but also raised in assimilation, like unpacking the way that my family hid cultural taboos has been really powerful and very helpful in this process. And also understanding that as a trans non-binary femme, um, certain taboos exist because of colonization that kind of exclude me from even being Roma. So, like having to go through that process was such a, and still is such a, 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 a powerful healing and powerful remediation. But I think day-to-day -day things like how do you clean your home? When do you cook certain foods? Um, changing my name, wearing D clothes, wearing more um, culturally appropriate and specific clothing to match my age and status in life. Um, these kinds of things were really important for me. Um, and also, you know, having a blessing to know my ancestral vitzas has been really helpful um, and healing those converse, those healing conversations and family lines has been also very helpful. Yeah, I think something I've explored is curiosity and also that it doesn't have to be linear. I feel like ancestor work is very non-linear um, because we are also calling upon time magic. Um, when we dive in. Um, and yeah, I also love the concepts around levity and something I started doing, yeah, like five years ago when I started reclaiming aspects of my ancestry 
um, is uh, having ancestor dance parties. Mm. And I think that it created um, a deeper invitation. It created celebration. And what I, I do and I still do is um, uh, cook ancestral foods that I was I was learning at the time out of a cookbook and just through my own research and playing ancestral music mm-hmm. and really creating that deep invitation um, to be in communion or be in celebration with my ancestors. Mm-hmm. And that really opened mm-hmm. so much up for me around communication and deeper intimacy and deeper conversation by having this aspect of curiosity and celebration because I think that is so important in conjunction with the deep excavation as well Absolutely. so and just that aspect of non-linear you know we're as witches we're so non-linear so <laughs> um divesting from the systems is non-linear and you know divesting from the system is also divesting from binary Mm -hmm. structures. So I think, you know, creating a container, creating, you know, a space and structure in which that can exist has been really powerful Mm -hmm. for me. I also want to say that one of the, one of the tools of whiteness and gajaness is expendability and also the erasure of cultural identity through the stealing of language and art. And I love what Kiki said about having ancestral dance parties and like listening to ancestral music and making ancestral foods and, you know, adding to that, learning the ancestral languages, learning ancestral stories. And when it comes to remediation with our ancestors who are problematic and dangerous Mm. like understanding like they're your ancestors and they're not going to go away and they're not expendable and like death is not an erasure of identity and nor is it an erasure of accountability and so we can see this by the inheritance of white supremacy and the responsibility to white the ending white supremacy within white people um, and people who benefit from whiteness you know like this is this is not going away until it is addressed. (laughs) And you cannot throw away an ancestor, just like you can't throw away people. And I think part of the thing that that is really uh, maybe scary or daunting is like, wow, gosh forbid you actually have remediation efforts that are successful with your problematic ancestors and they become reintegrated into the ancestral field and they become a valuable contributing mm-hmm. force in your life, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. wow, what does that mean? And it, like, that's really, that's so beautiful and so um, important to hold space for also, like the possibility for healing. Oh, thank you so much. My loves, I could be with you all day, but it's, we got to get going. You're going to have to come back on season two. There's so many things I wanted to talk about with both of you and we didn't get to, but I just have one last question for both of you. It's 2021 babes. Uh, you know, what are your plans? What are your hopes? What, what, what are you going to be making space for? Oh my goodness. Should we announce the, <laughs> I know. Yes. Okay, we're starting a podcast. Yay. And yeah, we're really excited. We start interviews. I don't know when this will air, but we're starting our interviews at the end of, Je- of December. And it's going to be twice a month. We'll have a new moon and a full moon episode um, where Kiki and I do forecasts, which, which tips, um, conversations based on community feedback um, and inquiry. And then we're going to have a guest episode where we interview uh, different queer and trans artists and witches at the intersections of ritual, art and community. 
Beautiful. That's going to yes. be super, super fun. What energy are you taking into this, this next phase, this next year? Yeah, I've been thinking about this. Um, I am really making new commitments to my art making and really committing to a level of visioning, you know, with everything moving into Aquarius right now, I've been really kind of wanting to ride the wave of mm -hmm. um, visioning and dreaming anew and imagining and really, um, yeah, deepening my intimacy with art making. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like I said earlier, I'm I'm working on a graphic novel. It's a Romani futurism piece that I'm working on it with uh, Wes Boxtale, who's a tattoo artist in New Orleans. Uh, Boxtale, I think. And then um, I I'm working with the Strength card this year, mm. um, and I'm really kind of curious about what that means. <laughs> so it's my Strength card year, and. Um, I think it's going to be really cool. I'm re I'm revisioning my offerings. I'm going to be offering more spell work, less temple tending, and more personal spell working for others in my private practice. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. Okay, my dear. So this is interesting. A couple of stones immediately came up for you. What they were, were apple jasper or apple opal, and I'll show you them afterwards, and sulfur. And this was really interesting to me because the interpretation that I, that came to my mind was a ton of abundance, a ton of like juicy goodness. And with, with the uh, with the apple opal, beauty found in the transformation, transformation found in the beauty and really allowing that to come forth. And the sulfur in my practice or how I interpret sulfur are a couple of different ways. The first is protection. It's a, like a protection stone. So when I saw that coming up for you right next to this stone of abundance, this stone of like gorgeousness and beauty. I was like, okay, that seems like it's a pretty clear message, you know, protect what it is you're doing right now, protect your pleasure, protect your joy, really guard to it. And of course, sulfur, we know more traditionally can also be seen as this alchemy, this alchemical process. So just thinking about what needs to be transmuted in order to preserve like all of the yummy, glowing, holographic, juicy parts of yourself would really, I think, make sense for this transition of, you know, the new year, uh, all of the different evolutions that you're going through and all of that stuff. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And then the other thing um, that came up for you when I was just tuning in before we gathered. So it, this was very interesting. It was very specific. It was around your energy and it was around really taking control of the rhythms and the waves of your energy. They were saying that thinking about your energy as a wave or as an arc and really having the first, you might already be doing this. I'd love for you to tell me like your explorations and energy and your schedule, but they really underscored that the first couple of hours of your day and the last couple of hours of your day 
are meant to be really intentional, really conscious. And they were like, well, you know, if she needs to watch a movie the last two hours of her day, that's, that's fine. Just make it be like an intentional choice. They also said that you can extend that out into your week in terms of your energy and your schedule. They're saying that if you explore on what days are best for you, um, batching, um, even just like three hour chunks of time doing one thing, however you need to get more into a flow, it's really going to pay off a, a ton if you invest in how you work best, when you work best, and the ways in which you need to be, you know, whether that be resting for more or whether that be focusing on your magic. They were also sort of saying that the middle of your day, you have the most energy. So to like proceed accordingly. Last but not least, they also said that thinking about your, your overall yearly schedule in the same terms, like where do you feel most prepared to bloom outwardly? Where do you need to go internally? Figuring that out is going to be really useful. Uh, does that make sense to you? It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, the other thing they said was there was something with like holistic health or health that previously brought a lot of grief, like it was really hard or you might have run into, for lack of a better word, some dead ends. And they're saying that this year for you is a really great time to reconnect to whatever it is you are sort of working towards, whether it be finding answers or finding different forms of medicine or different kinds of practitioners. This is like, there was a lot of grief or there was disappointment perhaps is the better word. Um, but moving forward, there's a lot of opportunity for you there. Does that make sense? It also makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, great. So what do you want to ask the cards? Oh my God, this is such a, I think this is such a loaded question. Um, I know. But I'm going to ask this one. I'm going to say, like, how do I prioritize my creativity? Like, in terms of projects. Mm. Um, I'm a capricious person by nature. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I feel like sometimes that's fine. I can roll with it. But I, I mean, is it... <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, let's do this. So I'm gonna shuffle, and whenever you feel ready, just say okay or ready. Okay. Oh, all right. Oh my God, are you kidding me? So you're a tarot reader, so I'm gonna tell you the cards that got pulled, and we're gonna get into them, okay? okay. Um. So the questions I asked were like, what do you need most to be in alignment with your creativity? What's the best way to work? with your creativity and then like what is the universe or what is spirit or you know your inner guides your inner wisdom want to talk about uh you know this your creativity uh, messages from spirit about your creativity you pulled the six of cups for like what do you need the three of pentacles for how to prioritize and the moon for messages from spirit yeah <laughs> I'm sure you're like, I get it. And also thank you. And also F you, F you, Tara. That's so sweet. So what, yeah, like you're laughing, like what's your take on all of this? I love reading for other readers. 
so I, I, I tend to read with a theme or over, over like as a collective um, impression first. So I'm thinking to just let myself receive the blessing of creativity and follow it is what I'm hearing. Like, like let it lead me rather than me deciding what is best for me to do uh, with a creative impulse. So I have multiple projects going at any given time and sometimes I forget um, that they're, sometimes I forget they're sentient. Sometimes they forget that they have life and desires of their own. And I, what I'm hearing in this reading is to um, check in with these projects and, and let them lead me and kind of like talk to them like inner parts or talk to them like children or different, uh, like yeah, different beings that I'm in relationship to, and let that let that be um, like a collective, collaborative intuition, rather than driving it, you know. I mean, there we have it, right? The moon is about so many things. It is about, to me, also, it's the story about time, and it's the story about time periods. And if you are going to have, say, six, you know, creative projects going at any given time, there needs to be this, uh, this rhythm with the ones that are maybe shorter or the ones that involve other people or the ones that are this longer story of the project of your life, right? I really wonder how much you are working magical cycles with your creativity like what is that relationship for you between magic ritual your art how much of that is this exploration between also the facets of your art because like an art project could take an afternoon or it could take 17 years right I think like, I think like a rhythm of the more mm, tangible projects alongside these longer projects so that the web that you're weaving is a both and and you're not setting yourself up for an either or. I also think a mix with this six of cups. I think this mix of for you and I see you already doing that this mix of internal art projects, meaning like behind the scenes that are healing for you, external art projects, you know, whether they be a book or a deck or anything else. And also the, this balance, you know, because it's like if everything's just externally based, externally based, that is really exhausting. If everything is just for career, just for career, that gets exhausting. And if everything is just for healing inner child, that can be exhausting too. So I think there's kind of this, this mix with the six of cups. And also like the other thing I want to say, make first, conceptualize later. Yeah. If you're tripping yourself up in certain projects of like, well, then it has to be like this. And then I'm doing this. And then I'm like, on like paragraph two, I'm going to like connect it to over here. And then this is like going to be about this. Like you can exhaust yourself. And I think six of cups for me also is about like finding beauty and understanding that part of why we're here is simply to create beauty. And over time, right, this moon over the accumulation of you'll start to be able to connect the dots. Like you don't have to, your art practice similar to your magical practice isn't something you always have to know what is going to happen next out of it. You know, I think that's really useful. And then of course with six of cups, of course with three of pentacles, 
asking for help. Yes. <laughs> you know, like really being ready to receive help, really surrounding yourself with people you can trust, whether that be people to look at your work and be in dialogue with it or to offer you financial means, like so on and so forth. Because you know this, like three of pentacles very traditionally is associated with tangible co-creation, uh, mm -hmm. collaboration, you know, and I think we're really meta with you because we're talking about you both collaborate with spirit you collaborate with Kiki, you collaborate with your students, you collaborate with the public. I mean, there's all of these levels and layers of collaboration, but I think ultimately what is coming up for you this year, what will continue to come up for you is a sustainable practice that is one that you can rely on and also involves some kind of legacy, some kind of lineage and some kind of financial support. So like thinking about like, you know, you love to write, I would also just like write everything down, like every single thing down. And where can they live in smaller places? Where can you hand them off to other people? Where can they just be a little thing that someone can buy or interface with you? And that will then also help sustain your internal magical creative work and practice because that's what's really annoying about creativity and being an alive human being like there's bills to pay you know but our muses are like but i need you to go into the forest for 12 hours today and collect pebbles that you'll and you're like what you know so i think there has to be some more like reception in terms of like allowing yourself to understand that being sustained at least a little bit and part by your creative practice can help you with those longer term projects, which you're going to be stepping into throughout all of the rhythms and the patterns of your life. Mm -hmm. I also think like, you know, honestly, with the moon, allowing yourself to see yourself as an artist, mm -hmm. you know, and if that means your schedule is going to change, if that means you are committed to an artistic process, no matter what, I wonder if there needs to be a little bit of transformation around an identity shift, like what aspects of being an artist give you repulsion or give you resistance? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, this is so spot on. It's so eerie. Yeah. <laughs> I Absolutely. mean, the other thing is, is like your cards were so beautiful, right? It wasn't like the tower or anything came through. Everything was really beautiful. And so there's this mix to me when I'm looking at the cards between heart, between like practical implementation, between reception. And then, yeah, but then this collaboration between magic, transformation, creativity, your intuition, you know, all that is bringing forth. And, and the other thing is, is like, you know that when you are really in alignment with head, heart, magic, intuition, you are guided. You can, you can let that little last bit of tension go. You can trust. And I think that's also, this is about like healing wounds around trust and safety and being allowed to be your beautiful self and being allowed to see your work reflected in the world. I think ultimately that's what this year is gonna be about if you choose to accept your assignment from the moon, you know? 
Yeah. <laughs> I know you're like, mm. well, you know, it's what I hear, what I hear in this. And I, I'm a kind of person who doesn't like too much to reflect on um, a reading as I'm getting it. I like to receive it and then I like to sit with it. I feel like it's important to kind of let the wisdom settle in before I start to work it inside of yeah. my brain. Um, but what I'm hearing is like a few state, a few points that come up for me are particularly around the six of cups and the three of pentacles is allowing the relationships that I am tending to and allowing the collaboration, the collaborative relationships that I am engaging with to, to be supportive. So I think it's one thing to like invite people in or to, to share experiences with others and think that that's collaborative. But something that I track um, just in my history is suspicion. Um, you know, it's like, I'm suspicious of my motivations. I'm curious. I'm always constantly um, asking, well, what is my motivation? Where is my attention going in this? And I also think it's important to allow, like you said, intuition and creativity to simply align with my relationships with spirit, with faith, and with others. And I think when we are people who exist in bodies who are constantly assailed by, by intent of harm, or we live within communities that that exist in a similar way or you know for myself i'm a survivor of multiple forms of sexual assault it's like there's an intimacy with art that triggers some of these old mm -hmm. wounds and allowing my 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 trauma <laughs> to be in its experience of healing while i'm learning how to trust in the intimacy that creativity um, sort of unfolds before me. So I hear that in those cards and it really is something that I'm working with a lot and um, allowing others to be trustworthy in their, um, in their ability to resource themselves. You know, it's like I, I have my expectations of myself and what I can offer. I communicate those. I can allow people to do the same to me and I can adjust expectations. And that's also true with creativity. It's like sometimes we don't know where it takes us. <laughs> um, but I, and I love this uh, when you were reading about um, you know conceptualize after create, creation. I'm currently writing a graphic novel, and I in the plot summary killed off two of my main characters, and I don't know how, and I don't know why, and I don't know, <laughs> you know, it's like. I, and I had to grieve for a couple of weeks. I was like, I can't believe they're dead. And we haven't even met them yet. You know? <laughs> so um, it just kind of gives me, um, I feel affirmed in, in this. And when we talk about like the identity of artists that, that I grieve or that annoys me or frustrates me, it's, it's that unpredictability. It's the uncertainty, mm -hmm. which is it's bittersweet, right? Because I, I, I think... When I think about art and when I think about creativity in terms of my relationship with it, it's always been, it's been both an escape and a refuge. And so having now in my midlife, like opportunities to express and share art outwardly with others, this refuge has become similar to my magical practice, right? My refuge has become kind of like a sanctuary or an invitation for others. 
And that's beautiful. I have to remember that there also is, there's a necessity similar to my magical practice. Like I have to have temple for myself, not just for community. And I think that that's a really good reminder because art is sacred. And um, yes, you know, I, think, I think I think art is ritual, and it's something that that Kiki and I have explored a lot with the Living Altar, and it's something I've learned a lot through that project, which is that you know all forms of creative expression is a spell, and so being intent intentful with this, um, yeah, just a good reminder. So I I really appreciate that reading. Thank you. Of course, I love that. Exciting. So, babes, where can the people find you? Um, so we can be found um, on Instagram, Living Altar, um, thelivingaltar.com, and my personal tarot and magic page is at Opulent Witch. Um, and to correct the the web address, it's livingaltar.com for the web address, and then it's oh, the Living Altar for always... the Instagram. I always mix them up too. Um, and then for me, you can find me at School of Traditional Magic on the Instagrams. And then Traditional Magic is my website. Yay. Awesome. Sending y'all so much love. Thank you so much. We're so lucky to have you get the Living Altar, follow them, figure out what how you want to work with them, figure out how you want to work with uh, the beautiful deck and all of the other gorgeous offerings these beautiful witches have brought forth. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. So did you love it or did you love it? You can check out Kiki and Ilva Mara's work. Their links are going to be all up in these show notes. I hope you have a beautiful week. If you are liking what you hear and you're liking all of the energy and effort and joy I put into this podcast, if you could please tell a friend, if you could please link it on your social medias, If you could please leave a five-star review if you haven't yet, I'm so appreciative of you. Until next time, I am sending so many blessings your way. You are listening to Moonbeaming, a podcast that is presented by Modern Women. I'm your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner. The editor is Caitlin George Parker. Music is by Will Owen and myself. All right. Bye. Witches.